0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. So listen, this morning, if you have your Bibles with you or if you're working off your phone, I want you to go to um, 2 Corinthians 5. This is the text we're going to be uh, going through today. And there's not going to be any scriptures on the screen today, so um, make sure you roll with me, all right? I'm good? Ugly as ever? All right. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. All right, so let me read the scripture to you real fast or whatever. We're in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm excited to preach this sermon, um, and I just pray, you know, Lord helps me bring it together because I feel like I'm hitting a whole bunch of angles and stuff. What's up, Brittany? What it is, though? All right, I'm sorry, I gotta give a shot, you know? All right. So so anyway, let me jump into this really quick. We are gonna be starting with verse 11. And I think this text is so timely for where we're at in the church right now because the text actually is, um, Paul is in the middle of this thing where like in, in Corinthians, as you keep reading on, he starts talking about super apostles so the context is this right here he has kind of like people showing up with the flash and the cash and all the good stuff kind of playing church and he's worried about his people getting caught up in that so he's making a case for who he is as an um as a as a minister of the gospel and at the same time he's teaching them some beautiful things so i hope i can bring this text to life for you all right y'all with me y'all better say something because i'm gonna keep asking y'all y'all with me all right we awake all right praise the lord all right so he says in his first part verse 11 he says because we understand our fearful responsibility to the lord we work hard to persuade others god knows we are sincere and i hope you know this too are we commending ourselves to you again no we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart if it seems we are crazy it is to bring glory to God." And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. And he died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died, in, in, who died and was raised for them. And verse 16 says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So right off the bat, Paul says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sin- knows we are sincere and I hope you know this too so he's making a case right there he's speaking with this kind of separation like as a person that serves you right as a as a leader as an apostle who serves your church he's saying we have a fearful responsibility to the lord so he's inserting a marker in their heart to vet those who they receive from and are led by to see if they have a to, to always know whether or not they have a healthy reverence in fear of god right so I think sometimes when we see certain ministers or we see some of um, some of the Christian tricks of the day, whether it's on TV and we see the lights, camera, and the action, I think one of the things I, I ask sometimes, I'm like, this seems a little bit too like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, um, like a TV show a little bit, right? Y'all with me? And so I kind of go, man... I wonder if they kind of went the pop route, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I don't know if any of y'all know about some real hip hop or whatever, but back in the day, everybody hated MC Hammer because they felt like he was going pop. So if you're like a Tribe Called Quest fan, you were like, yo, what is this dude doing with the shiny pants, doing the dance and all that, right? So Paul is like, yo, these people out here ain't really keeping it real and y'all need to pay attention. Y'all with me so far? Some of y'all act like y'all know who Tribe Called Quest is. Is that? Okay, maybe we don't, okay. Maybe I'm getting old, all right so he's like yo they're not spitting this real gospel or whatever he's like so we need to we need to size them up do they have a fear like are they fearful towards god i don't mean that they're like like this like god is fearful like we can't have a relationship but like do they have a sincere relationship with god do they have reverence proverbs 9:10 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one is insight so the healthy fear of the lord is one of those things that makes us deal with this word with a certain reverence like I can't show up in the morning and just preach something that's a show for you, right? It has to land. It has to mean something. It has to land on me first for me to actually declare it to you because if so, I'm just doing the job of preaching a message to you and doing a show and marking the box if it has no place in my heart. Are you all with me so far? In verse 11, he says, God knows we are sincere. And this word is sincere is a big deal here because he uses it in two places. In verse, seven, verse 11, he says, God knows we are, we are sincere. And in verse 12, he says this right here. He says, are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. So there's a cultural challenge there where like ministry is turning into the floss and 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 it's turning flossy and glossy all right you see i have a bunch of adjectives today i'm working with all right so paul sees that this is becoming a problem because if people start falling for the floss and the gloss or whatever then they stop dealing with god with a sincere heart and he's concerned about that for his people he's concerned that they're going to look at him as that they're going to look at him as a leader and be like this dude just pulled up Paul, you run around that little raggedy horse or whatever, but this guy just pulled up with the chariot with the spinner rims on it, you understand? Like, so he's, he, he's, he's like, yo, this is not what we came for. This is about a real relationship with Jesus, right? Not a spectacular ministry, whatever that actually means, but a sincere heart. So he centers the weightiness and the legitimacy of true ministry in the reverence and a fear for God and sincerity, right? fact of the matter is we are not called to chase Christian celebrities we are called to pursue godly sincerity knowing the Father through Jesus in truth amen Amen. so there's a culture what happened and Paul knows it and he's jumping in front of it deceiving the people that he leads verse 13 he says if it seems we are crazy it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. And verse 14 says either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised. For them so when he says christ's love controls us he's making a declaration that they have died to themselves to live the life that god has called them to right so he's he is distinguishing like he's like i want you to understand we may not look like a spectacular ministry we may not move as fast we may not be as relevant as anything else but our chief concern is to know god ourselves and for you to know God as well, right? So he counts that as a win, right? He counts that as a win. It doesn't mean the building don't have to be flossy, the building don't have to be glossy, and if we know Jesus, that is the point of the gospel, right? To be reconciled to the Father. Y'all with me so far? So he's like, don't be deceived. Says Christ's love controls us. So what does that look like? 1 Corinthians 13 says this, once again, you'll see how he's dividing up culture and in, in, in distinguishing between the two. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I just wanna stop there for a minute. So I would venture to say that when we talk about spectacular ministry and how it dances with our flesh, it could be people who speak in the tongue of men and angels, right? Have a very slick rhetoric, can articulate themselves really well, and so we may line up behind a person and go, wow, they're so smart, educated, I wanna follow them. Doesn't mean that they have love. That's what Paul is trying to say, right? It's just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal because if it lacks the love of Jesus Christ, what is the point? What does it actually do? What fruit does it actually bear besides satisfy our flesh and our longing to, you know, be whatever that is, right? And he says, "If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And he says, and if I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So it's possible for us to posture ourselves as being the most giving person ever, being sacrificial and completely miss the love of Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? So this tosses us back to the text earlier and why he said, a fearful responsibility to the Lord. He's like, I have a fearful, like my, my, the, the calling that I have and, and the weight of what I'm called to steward, I have a fearful responsibility to the Lord. I don't want to misstep. Not that my, my righteousness is proved by how well I do it, but I have a reverence for God that I want to actually lead well, love you well, and be like Christ and model that for you. Y'all with me? My wife doesn't make me love her, but I love her. You understand? So I want to please her. I want to make her happy. I'm compelled by love. You understand? I'm compelled by love. I have a fearful responsibility to the Lord to love her well. And I'm a little bit afraid of her too. I love you, babe, but I am. All right. Anyway. So he goes back. Points us back to that sincere heart. Because they can have all the the noisy gong and the clanging cymbal, prophetic powers, all the mysteries, all the knowledge can be, have big faith, talk real big, actually be able to accomplish things and do really good things. Give up everything they have, extremely sacrificial, make most of us look pitiful in our generosity. But if they lack love, they have nothing. And so he goes on to describe love. So when he says, Christ's love Controls us. I want you to think about Paul being an apostle, leading people, um, believers, followers of Jesus, and he orchestrates his ministry based on what I'm about to read to you. Verse 4 he says, Love is patient and kind this is important, and just so you have the proper framework when I'm talking about love, I don't want you to think about a real nice Hallmark card when you hear this, but this is actually what oozes out of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, he actually is the definition of the patience and the kindness that we see here. He's the defini- definition of, of, of not envying or boasting, right? He leaves his holy throne in heaven and becomes a man. He puts on our despicable flesh. He's humble, for a lack of better words, right? Not arrogant or rude. So this is what Paul says when he says Christ's love controls us. He's making a statement to them that the way that we love you, the way, that we actually, the way that I actually lead, the way that I move forward, the way that God has called us to serve you is with this kind of love. I want to show you something in uh, Philemon 1. I'm going to read this to you. It's kind of long, um, but it'll give us a little insight on this text. Start with verse 4. So just let me give you a little bit of context, or whatever, right? So there is a slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus it has run away from Philemon, who was his slave master, and Onesimus has, on the way out the door, snatched a couple of dollars from Philemon too. Um... Good for him. Anyway, so he gets the cash, dashes, and he heads to Paul. So that's the context of the scripture. Y'all with me? And now this is Paul writing a letter back to Philemon, back to Philemon about Onesimus, and he says, "I think my God always, when I remember you in my prayers." So he's talking to, he's talking to Philemon, and Paul is just peep the rhetoric. He's speaking kind of gangster in the way he's speaking to him. He's doing it nicely, but. It's pretty poetic, anyway. He says, because I hear of your love, he tells tells Philemon, because I hear of your love, and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. My brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, Accordingly, hold on, let me stop real quick. So, Paul is disappointed in Philemon. Number one, you'll be able to see in the text, he thinks it's problematic that he is a declaring Christian and actually has a slave, right? So you'll get that out of the text as well, right? But he separates the fact that Philemon has stepped into the faith as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, but now he's confronting him on this other part, right? Y'all ready? He says, accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. So you can only imagine that. Philemon is getting this letter or whatever. He's like, "Man, Paul and sent me a personal letter or whatever. And then Paul brings up Onesimus and he describes him as "my child." So to Philemon, he's a runaway slave that owes him some money. To Paul, Paul is saying, "I'm hitting you up about my child." You understand? Somebody who has become my child who I love. He says, "Whose father I became in my imprisonment." Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me, and I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but of your own accord. So let me just give you an understanding of what's happening here. Paul starts this text out, and he keeps speaking about love. And then he says to Philemon, I could just check you and say, homie, you out of order, right? He said, I could use my authority and check you like that, but I'm going to keep talking about love and give you the opportunity for you to not be moved by compulsion, by my threat, but by your own accord. And when he says by your own accord, by your own accord, based on the love of Jesus Christ, Do you get where I'm coming from? So when we talk about, when Paul says that we are compelled, or, or when he says Christ loves, controls us, he's saying that the love that I just read about to you in 1 Corinthians 13 is something that you functionally infuse in every situation in your life, right? When you're stuck and you're like, what do I do in this moment? This person just crossed, my, crossed the line and disrespected me what does it look like to love in this moment, right? This is where we actually make this um, applicable in the moment. Y'all with me so far? Yesterday, my wife did a ship order, and the ship order went to Chicago. So we're ordering some groceries, and then the person calls and the guy's like, yeah, you know, I got this stuff right outside of the door. My wife is like, nah, homie, like, they're not, it's not outside. And, uh, and then the guy was like, yeah, well, I'm in Chicago, and so we had our daughter's address on the app, and so man, this guy was special. So right off the bat, he starts talking crazy to my wife, like he's like, "Yo, you really need to get your life together." And so I, I you know, I hear on the phone, she's like, "Oh my God, I made a mistake or whatever, and this and that," and. I I shame myself so bad, I'm gonna just keep it real. When I heard this guy talking to her like that, I grabbed the phone and I went nuts, all right? It it turned into a straight shouting match. I was like, bro, if you ever talk to my wife, like, yo, baby, get a plane ticket, hurry up, right? Completely unchristian-like, right? But I was like, man, I don't play that, whatever, right? So, but I had to turn to my kids and go like, hey, please forgive me, that was wrong, right? I was like, homie, you need to be straightened out. But that was wrong. I didn't apply love at all. I didn't even think about love. I, I thought about some boxing gloves. That's what I thought about, right? But that's what Paul is doing here. Paul is, he's telling Philemon, I'm a pill. if you know Christ for real, I want you to apply the love of Christ here. He says, for this perhaps, in verse 15 now, he says, for per, this perhaps is why he was, why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. So Paul, functioning in the love of Christ, is actually honoring Onesimus being made in the image of God. So he's having to check another Christian like, homie, I don't know where you at with it, but you're not moving in the love of Christ is basically the context of this conversation. And he says, so no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother, especially, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? And then he says in verse 17, which this is when we think about the scripture and we think about love your neighbor as yourself, Paul says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul takes him from this this classism and elitism that's in Philemon's heart that allows him to have partiality towards Onesimus. And Paul says, nah, he's a child of God just like me. Y'all with me so far? Are y'all with me so far? Yes? All right. He says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account sounds like jesus taking the hit for us on the cross doesn't it i want you to catch that these aren't these aren't just stories we just talk about and and our ideology we just intoxicate ourselves with paul is actually living out the gospel he says if he owes you anything charge that to my account it says i paul write this with my own hand i will repay it to say nothing of you owing me Even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously graciously given to you. It's a little passive-aggressive, but it's effective, right? Paul models what it looks like to operate in love he gives us an example of what it looks like to actually love somebody right to knock out the categories of classism and elitism that exists with humans he drops the gospel in. It. he could have dropped force and put an elbow on philemon but he actually presents an opportunity for him to function in the love of christ the love that he received from jesus right so verse 16 says this Back in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. So Paul, he undermines any super-apostle notion that any listener of this letter would think about him when he says, anyone, right? So he starts off, he, he basically deprofessionalizes his previous statements about fearing the Lord, sincere, sincerity, Christ's love controlling us, and he proclaims it as a framework for every believer that has been reconciled to God through Christ to live by. Y'all with me? So first he's making the case about, let me tell you how we roll. But then he expands and he goes, let me tell you how all of us roll, right? Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. So I ask you, believer, I'm going ask you a question. Do you believe in a sincere relationship with God anymore? Do you believe in a perpetual death, death to, the, to yourself for the glory of God? Are you controlled by Christ's love, right? Because the Bible says that we are actually ministers of reconciliation. And see, when God saves us, The Bible says that the blood of Jesus is sufficient, right? And John says that if anybody says they haven't sinned, that they're a liar, right? I tell you all that all the time. So you don't have to walk around being a robot trying to act like you got your stuff together. The Bible says if you say you haven't sinned, then you're a liar, but the Bible says that if we walk in the light and we confess our sins, that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover all of our sins, right? So functionally, our posture, when I ask you questions like that, it's not for you to sh- be shamed or to sh- shrink back in your seat. It's that our posture as a Christian is that we are allowed to always ask ourselves that question because it's fruitful for us. Do you believe in a sin- sincere relationship with God anymore? Or, or just jo- going to church or just like doing Christian things, is it just tradition, right? Is there any heart in it? Do you believe... That's beneficial for us to confess our sins, to come before God in honesty and truth and allow Him to actually poke at some of the things in our heart so that we could actually be better, right? I know I just made a joke about what happened on the phone yesterday, but I'm like really, really ashamed of it. Like I was really ashamed of it for my kids. I was like, Dad, I don't want them to think that that's okay to respond to stuff like that. I didn't like that they saw me go from zero to a thousand in like two seconds. I was like, That's that's not what I want to raise in my house, right? I don't know if it's what I'm going to do when it happens again, but my process is, to be honest, before God with it and ask God to do a work in my heart, right? To begin to actually start to sanctify me. Like, I want to have reverence for this calling as a father to leave my home, right? To To give an example. And then he says... In verse 16, excuse me, verse 17, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. He says the old life is gone, and the new life has begun. I read this, and my first thought is like, is it, right? Is it gone for you? Because Paul, like I said, one of the things he's tossing around are these different cultural concepts so you have paul presented in philemon and paul is a believer and follower of jesus christ and philemon is too but philemon still thinks it's okay to own humans philemon apparently has not let go of his whole life right and paul has a problem with it and he could slam his fist down on the table to confront him but what he does is he confronts them with the love of Christ. Christ, If you know Jesus for real, then when I lay this in front of you, I'm going to give you an opportunity for you to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to it and confront your heart for the sanctification of your soul, right? And for us to actually love our brother Onesimus. He's not a slave. He's me. That's what Paul says. He says, you treat him as you treat me. Y'all with me so far? The gospel is working, is working here, right? He's, put, he's making it applicable. He's putting it right in the middle of this mess that's going on there. I was having a conversation with one of my friends the other day, um, actually with a couple of pastors or whatever, right? And so, um, so one of the pastors or whatever I was hanging with, just um, um, so a couple of white pastors, a couple of black pastors, or whatever, right? And so one of the white pastors asked me, he says, um, he says, yo, Jay, what's up with this one rapper, you know, so this one big rapper or whatever, and, um, and he's like, you know, I've seen him kind of, um, he's been talking kind of, you know, weird lately, so he's gotten into some, some kind of um, theology that this guy was concerned about. And so um, so I listened to him, he asked the question, he goes, you know, Jay, I know you know him and stuff, like what's the deal? And I said, um, I didn't like the way he was asking the question because he felt like it was like he kind of jumped to, like I need to know whether this guy, this guy is safe and good or, or what the case is, right? and I just didn't like the nature of the question, so I asked him, I said, I said, um, you, I said, it, I'm not gonna get into the, the framework of whatever this guy's belief is, but I said, yeah, he, I go, he still believes in Jesus Christ um, in the gospel. I said, but there's some questions that he's wrestling with and you've probably heard some of that spill out, right? And then I said, um, I said, let me ask you something. I said, have you ever heard a white pastor give an apologetic for this thing that this guy is struggling through. And he said, um, and by apologetic, I just mean a response or a biblical answer to it. And he goes, nah, I never have. I said, all of the ministers you read, everybody you know, I said, you can't think of one single white pastor that has ever responded to what this guy is struggling with at the moment, right? And he goes, no. And so... From there, our conversation transitioned into a conversation about white supremacy in the church. And so I told him, I said, well, I said, this is what's problematic for me, and this is what I see that he's struggling with. I said, you're ready to go ahead and draw a line on him being heretical. I said, but y'all have never taken the time to answer his questions. And I said, I said, this is problematic for me, I said, because when we talk about white supremacy inside of the church and what we see happening in America and the great divide we have from a race standpoint, I said, what it actually looks like is, I said, do you not esteem them enough to give an apologetic? Because I see you swing the sword around to debate any kind of case, but why was this not worthy enough to make a case with, but you only want to swing the sword of being a heretic now? Do y'all get where I'm coming from? I know I'm talking vaguely, but do y'all understand the conversation? They were kind of stuck because they didn't know the answer, and so one of the things I started to challenge them with was, what does the love of God look like in this situation? I'm like, we're humans. Everybody in here asks questions that are heretical whether they do it out loud or in their mind right? We may assimilate and keep them to ourselves, but all of us are looking around going, you know, God, I don't know about this right here, or whatever. So many different things like that, and we have to have grace and mercy to be able to ask questions, to talk out loud, work through stuff, and not get stomped down for asking the question. And so, I challenged them on what does the love of Christ look like in this conversation, and it became very clear that um, a gospel, <laughs> Christ-like Framework had been removed from many people of color inside of the church that need questions answered, right? And so it kind of landed with, so if we're not doing stuff that's like Christ, what are we actually doing then? What what part of the old life, right? Like Philemon, are we still holding on? Are we perpetuating what's inside of the church? And that's why Paul, when he's talking right here, he's making such a... a, a a, you know, a strong statement like the old life is gone. Because when the old life is gone, then we don't have to protect old systems, old beliefs, old ideologies. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? We don't have to protect them. We're free to just say the truth. What we're free to do is actually hear each other. Y'all with me? I know I'm going on a rabbit trail with you, but y'all just, you know, y'all stay with me. We're free to actually hear each other. The Bible says weep with those who weep, right? Right? One of the other things they brought up, they're like, man, we're talking about all the killings that's happening in the news and everything. And one of the guys said, hey, um, so yeah, I don't always know how to deal with it or whatever, because I don't always agree with whether a person caused it themselves or anything else or whatever. And I said, yeah, I said, I feel that way too. And they were like, so I, sometimes I don't say anything. I said, well, that's cool. I said, let me ask you this. I said, Did you, do you agree that a mother or a father who lost their child are grieving in a pain that we can't even comprehend? and say, yeah. I said, so would you not slide up beside them, whether you had issues with how their child died, but slid up to, will you slide up to just love them? Can we just do that? Right? Can we do what 1 Corinthians 13 says and just love people, right? And, 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 and not go through all of the, I don't know, you, like who says, oh, you caused it, so I'm not going to go actually give empathy to, to you, right? Do you understand where I'm coming from? All right. This old life is gone is such a significant part of this text. Because if we still have some kind of ideologies or some kind of identity that we have to protect that ends up being larger than the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we'll end up trampling the gospel. We will trample 1 Corinthians 13 to protect whatever that thing is. You understand what I'm saying? We'll protect it. If politics is bigger than Jesus Christ, we will trample what love looks like for politics. Politics is not going to save us. Right? Repentance is one of the ways that our old life is washed away. Confession and repentance. We see it with Philemon. Paul presents an opportunity for him to move in the love of Christ. For him to step up and go, yeah, I'm off my elevator's moving sideways in this situation. This doesn't look like Jesus. This is why he keeps throwing the word love at him. I'm giving you an opportunity before I put the elbow on you like and rebuke you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. When Jesus, when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, listen to Zacchaeus words. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look here. He says, he says, look Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector, which was the scum of the earth back in their day, right? And then he sees Jesus, he hears Jesus coming through, he hears Jesus preaching, he sees Jesus coming through his town, And when he has an experience with jesus he repents and he doesn't just give lip service he says you know what anybody i've stole money from four times do you understand this is the love of christ being dropped in these situations that we're in right in 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 these in these like when we look at the world and we grieve about how broken it is the gospel of christ when the old life is gone, right, it produces fruit. It's not just some rhetoric. It's not the American way. I'm a Christian, like all good Americans are. That's not what it is. It is a complete turning from our sin. And every get, everything gets stomped on. Everything, our identity, everything we hold true, our ideologies that would trample over Christ, over his mercy, over his grace. They fall. Zacchaeus, he lays down his money, and he loves money, because there's no way in the world anybody would be a tax collector and deal with the disdain that comes with betraying your people and pillaging them for money. So we know God did something amazing in his heart. Verse 18 says this, and all this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ." This is Paul bringing it back in 2 Corinthians. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. A couple things right here, and then I'm going to end this right, really. Um, What I love about this is that Paul ends up making a proclamation about himself and where he stands, and then he encompasses this to everybody. And so he says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back. To himself through Christ so he's like I'm called to lead y'all but when he proclaims the gospel he makes it a us thing in other words as the leader he's not the super apostle he's like I, this Jesus I'm talking about we all have the same testimony that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins through mercy and grace y'all feel me we all we all bear that testimony he says and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him because he was reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. Let me give you a framework for why this is so important. So important. He says, no longer counting people's sins against them. Have you ever been in line at a drive through and somebody like paid for your meal in front of you? Throw, throw your hands in the if air that, if that's ever happened to you. You know, like they, what they call it, paying it for it, right? I don't know if that's ever happened to me. It may have. Well, you know, people pay for our meals all the time. Yeah, they do. I don't know what it is. I think they see us with like 10 kids in the restaurant and they're like, I don't know how they are gonna pay that bill. <laughs> and they they pay it. And Cracker Barrel, I don't know what it is, about Cracker Barrel, if we're eating Cracker Barrel, like, every, they always get the meal. You know, I just look over at people and put a sad face like, all these kids next thing I know that thing is taken care of I was like god bless you you know Um, but you know what's crazy right is I look at this text and I look at how Paul makes this statement like for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them and then he talks about the message that is given to believers right And what I think about when, if you're in line and somebody pays it forward and you get to the window and you're like, man, somebody just paid for my Big Mac or whatever you're buying or whatever, right? I don't know if people still eat Big Macs. Anybody eat Big Macs? Because we don't have to talk to you after church. All right. (laughs) Garrett, you still on them? All right. You're probably one of the most fittest ones in here. I ain't going to get on you. All right. Anyway, so people pay it forward. When you return that favor, nobody ever thinks about if this person behind them is worthy enough to receive this gift, do they? Nobody thinks about it. Like you don't posture yourself like, man, I don't know, man. Like, let me see what the car's looking like. I don't know, man. It look like they smoking a black and mild back there, or whatever. I don't know. I ain't, I ain't now, nah, man. They, you know, you don't do all that. You don't judge them. You don't do anything. You just receive a gift so you lavish somebody else with the gift, right? That's what Paul is doing when he's telling them who they actually are. He's posturing them in the fact that you have received this gift by the grace of God. All of it's a gift, right? Then he sums it up at the end. He says, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin." so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus paid it all for us. So when we go forward with the message of reconciliation, we don't go forward sizing people up. That's what Paul is saying in verse 16 when he says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, the old life is gone, and the new life has begun. They are, what propels their ministry is the fact that they have been lavished with such a gift. And so church, what I'm saying to you and what I'm going to end with is that if you forget the magnitude of the gift that we have actually received through Christ Jesus, then you're not going to remember love. Because you're not going to remember that you have been loved, right? You're not going to remember that somebody who doesn't even know you has no, no, no purpose to actually pay it it for you actually did the Bible says that we were actually enemies of God so he knew us but it's worse than him just not knowing us he knows, he knows us as enemies as enemies right? as us having a hand swiping at the throne of God carelessly but he pays it for through Jesus Christ And he's calling us in this text. He's saying, this is your identity. This is who you are. Pay this forward as you, as you, as you, let, let, let your proclamation of the gospel be fragrance with the mercy that you receive. Do this with a fearful responsibility to the Lord. Do this with sincerity. Don't do it as a show. Don't, don't try to play spectacular ministry." Play loving people the way Christ has loved you, right? Do 1 Corinthians 13 love. Not a show. Not good old American morals. But when God shows up and saves us by his mercy and grace. Do that. That's it for me, church. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to take communion. God. Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. God, I thank you for this word. God, Father, I pray that you, um, pray that you would not let this message float away from us quickly, Father. Um, Pray, Father, Lord, that throughout this week you continue to um, nurture our heart with the message we've heard today. Help us to apply 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love in the situations and circumstances we find ourselves in in our life on a daily basis. Help us, Father Lord, to remember how it was paid forward to us, um, to knock down walls of hostility and division between us with other people. Help us to not size people up by the color of their skin or whatever we've been socialized to believe and think about people as or anything like that. Help us to love the way that you love. Help us to do it in truth. To be able to have honest, hard conversations. What we see in text, what we see in the scriptures, God, is you Speaking to injustice. Speaking to sin. in this balance of mercy and love mixed with truth. So we don't want to speak love that lacks truth. And we don't want to speak truth that lacks love. And we don't assume that we know what that is ourselves and know how to do this ourselves. So we pray that you would... um, by your power, lead us, guide us, be a lamp unto our path, Father. I pray for our church, um, that we grow in community even more, praying for each other, loving each other. Um, Pray that you do something with us, in us, through us, that's beyond us. Pray for our community, for the neighborhood, the things we dream about seeing develop, for people to flourish, put those things before you, Father. So we just praise you. Thank you for everybody in this room, Lord. We remember you today as we take communion, as you told us to in your word, to do this in remembrance of you, that your body was broken, your blood was shed for us. Pray that as we do that this morning, that none of us will be nonchalant about what we're doing. We're not just merely doing tradition, Father Lord, but we are stopping to grasp the magnitude of the gift that you have given us through Jesus. Um, that you paid it for it through Jesus. But uh, it wasn't just free. It cost something. There was blood, bloodshed. There was a death and there was a resurrection. So I pray, Father, Lord, that in sincerity we would know this in our heart, that we would feel it, by, um, that this would be confirmed through Holy Spirit, that we would know it, and that we would follow in faith. So we just praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church.